0: Hello, I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist and welcome to the first part of a four-part podcast where I speak to Dr. Susan Mayu, a consultant dermatologist at the Cadogan Clinic. She has over 30 years experience in dermatology. She was co-founder and secretary of the British Cosmetic Dermatology Group and has been an honorary lecturer at Imperial College London. She's worked both privately and in the NHS, including running the paediatric dermatology clinic at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and the paediatric and adult clinic at Queen Mary's in Roehampton. My favourite bit though, she was also featured in Tatler's Beauty and Cosmetic Surgery Guide as a top doctor in dermatology. Dr. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm really fascinated by dermatology. So I'm very excited to have someone, well, basically like medical royalty with me today. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Complete pleasure.
0: So I thought we could kind of start off with uh, maybe some of the misconceptions about dermatology, because I think people might not fully understand even, you know, what dermatology really covers, um, and that it's, it's much more complex, isn't it, than just sort of like skin creams.
1: So dermatology um, is a super-specialty and uh, we look after the largest organ in the body, which is the skin. And uh, we look after it from the baby years right through till old age, with a variety of uh, skin problems ranging from birthmarks in the young, to eczema in the youngish ones, through to acne, through to moles, lumps and bumps, and of course skin cancer.
0: I remember from medical school, one of the things that really interested me uh, in dermatology, and actually if I didn't do psychiatry, I was going to do dermatology, it was like my kind of number two choice, Um, was that it kind of spans surgery and and medicine, doesn't it? Because there's kind of surgical procedures, but there's a lot of kind of medical aspects to this as well.
1: Yes, it does both. And it's also, uh, you often get uh, internal conditions that have cutaneous or skin manifestations as well. So there's a large element of general medicine involved as well.
0: Yes, because I think that's another thing people don't necessarily appreciate, that there's there's lots of other conditions, um, kind of medical conditions, that sort of will manifest themselves, will kind of show themselves um, as, as, as a skin condition. Can you just explain that a bit, just because people probably didn't understand that, they, they probably didn't know about that sort of side of things.
1: So there are uh, several conditions, for example, there's one that affects primarily the lung called sarcoid, but it might present as um, lumps on the skin. And so the patient, this is what the patient might notice first. And so they come along with a lump and bump and you can take a skin biopsy and get the histology uh, which shows sarcoid and then you search elsewhere in the body for sarcoid and maybe find it in the lungs.
0: Because that's that's the thing about skin, isn't it? I suppose it's very hard to know what's going on, say, with your liver um, or your kidneys, but actually your skin, we kind of look at it all the time. Uh, So it kind of, I think it makes it such an interesting speciality. Can I ask, if you don't mind, what's your own skin routine? Because of course, dermatology doesn't just cover these kind of medical conditions. It's also about sort of like upkeep and protection of your skin. So so what, what is it you do to look after your skin?
1: So what I do, and what I recommend my patients do, is to clean the skin um, every night, removing, if you're a woman, the makeup, and for everybody to remove the dirt, uh, the bacteria. And then you've got a clean slate on which to apply, if you are keen on it, um, any anti-aging products. It's sensible to be using something that's got scientific evidence that it works. So that's either a cosmeceutical strength, retinol or even a prescription strength. And then sunscreen is the cheapest, most uh, effective anti-aging product. And that should be used on the skin in the morning. If you additionally want to protect the skin from UV rays that have penetrated your layer of sunscreen, then an antioxidant serum on the skin is
0: sensible. I want to talk to you then about the sun protection thing because I'm quite obsessed mm. with this. Um, so I use I use Factor 50 every single day, and the reason for doing this is because I've got very strong family history of, uh, of skin cancer. So I've, I'm always quite, been quite sort of paranoid about this. So right from a very very young age, my mum always always used to put lots of sun cream on me, um, and then as I got older, I realised that actually there's not, not just the advantages of of the kind of low, reducing the risk of skin cancer, but also the kind of anti aging side of things but it's it's quite complicated well, i find it quite complicated even though i'm interested in it between all these different types of rays because there's there's infrared there's uva uvb so can you just explain that and about how the kind of different creams that we might get and what to look for when we're when we're buying sunscreen
1: so the um rays which do the most damage to our skin are the uva and the uvb rays and when you look at the, as a sunscreen bottle, you can see what you're buying. The uh, SPF factor relates to the protection you're getting from UVB rays. And either the star system or the little logo with UVA on it uh, sh- shows that we've got an adequate UVA protection.
0: And, and it's UVA, it's particularly the ageing one, is that right?
1: Exactly, absolutely. And both with accumulative exposure cause skin cancer. So I'm very pleased that you use SPF 50 to get the SPF that is on the bottle, i.e. the SPF you think you're applying. uh, One has to use and apply sunscreen thickly and it has to be two milligrams per centimeter squared, which is what, so what does that mean? So basically it would be a teaspoon for your face and a dessert spoon for your arm and your uh, torso. So for an average body size, it would add up to about 75 mils, which is a lot of sunscreen. And nobody ever really puts it on that thickly. The, um, there's some evidence, uh, from Australia that shows that people tend to put on between a quarter and a half the amount they need to be getting the sunscreen that they think they're applying.
0: Because the problem I find is that when I put it on on my face, so I, I, I don't because I wear shirts and stuff to work, I, I always just put it on my face. Um, and that yeah. actually, to, to put the actual amount, so I'm quite I'm quite sort of uh, obsessed around making sure I do put the correct amount on. But goodness, it makes you if, depending on the product type, you could, it looks like you're kind of wearing almost like clown makeup because it's so sort of thick. And, and I've had to ex- spend quite a few years really kind of experimenting with different brands because I found lots of different brands. You know, that some of them are very good, but they make it feel like you're wearing very thick makeup. Whereas other brands absorb incredibly quickly. Does it make any difference with how quickly, or, or is it is it just, you know, just down to different brands? Does it make any? Does it affect at all the uh, how good they are at protecting your skin?
1: So they should be giving you the protection that they are claiming, um, but you're right about the different consistency because sunscreens can be physical, which is that's the, the thick reflective uh, you know, uh, content or chemical, which are thinner and some are a combination of two and it depends on the relative amounts, how it turns out on your skin
0: what you're saying is it kind of comes down to personal choice really um and, and certainly i've noticed over the last few years there's been quite there's you know the, the, the whole market seems to have exploded and there's loads and loads and loads of different types now you know, a few years ago this was just there's relatively uh, limited selection but now there seems to be you know you go into a department store and everything uh you know there's loads and loads and loads of different uh, different options
1: different options and for different bits of the body <laughs>
0: yes exactly so it, yeah, it kind yeah. of just comes down to really just personal choice and that's what you're saying providing the spf is high enough. Is there much difference between 30 and 50?
1: That's a, a good question. So there is a graph that's hard to demonstrate on, on in this format, um, but basically SPF 50 gives you about 97% protection against the rays. Um, SPF 30 gives you about 93, but then um, SPF 15, it, the curve drops the, all the way down and only you only get about 75%. So there's not a lot of difference between 50 and 30 um, but there's quite a lot of difference between 30 and 15 and lower down which is why if you put on 50 badly and it doesn't sound as if you do uh, but for everybody else if you put 50 on badly you get 30-ish that's okay but if you start with 30 and you don't put that on thickly enough you're not getting nearly as good coverage as you think
0: Oh wow that's really interesting so so, so you would recommend really doing 50 just because majority of people we know from research don't quite put enough on or put it on it kind of properly. Yeah. And the other thing I was really interested in was I was reading about um, skin cancer on the eyelids so tell us about this because because I think people don't tend to put the um, uh, sun, sun protector on eyelids.
1: So because sunscreens were formulated more for various areas like the face uh, the chemicals in some of the the sunscreens sting or irritate particularly sensitive skin and sensitive areas so people you if you not you but if you put your hands to your face one you starts off in the middle and sweeps it out laterally and then goes to the forehead so there are various areas that have been missed out until people realized they needed to cover them and the temples is one uh, we see a lot of skin damage on the upper lip and the nose and the eyelids as, as you say
0: is it interesting
1: there, there, there's one other thing i just thought, thought might be interesting for you actually uh, about makeup about moisturizers with spf and inch which i just yes say something about because do
0: you know, yeah. uh, this, again i think lots of particularly mm. obviously women um, think that they don't bother with spf because they think well it's it, apparently you know, it's in my makeup so i don't have to put on spf so is that is that right is that okay to just rely on your makeup spf
1: no that's that's a very good point so moisturizer with spf or foundation with spf is better than without but i always think of the analogy of it's like tea with sugar versus the sugar it's sort of slight like there's some in there but it's not nearly as good as a, as a neat teaspoon of the sugar which is the sunscreen in this case
0: so you'd recommend so people should put on a sunscreen and then their makeup so you should they should do it that way and not just rely on the on the spf and the makeup
1: Exactly, you, you can't rely on the SPF and the makeup,
0: no. And then talk to me, this is maybe, this is moving away slightly maybe from the sort of medical side of things, but I know it's a question everyone's going to want to know the answer to, skin moisturiser. So we know that that's important, you know, looking after our skin, particularly as you were saying, if we're going to cleanse our skin, then we're kind of stripping away the natural oils on the skin. Um, as well as all the kind of dirt and everything else, it's going to take some of the naturals, so So it might, may well dry out our skin. So I can understand why people might then use moisturiser. And obviously there's a kind of an argument, there's potential kind of anti-aging and it sort of plumps up your skin. But there's so much variation, isn't there? Um, between, you know, you can spend just a couple of pounds to hundreds upon hundreds of pounds. Is is there really any difference in the skin moisturisers?
1: Well, not really. So uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> There we go, sorted that uh... <laughs> out.
1: So that's done. Um, okay. So, uh, moisturisers are a mixture of humectants and occlusives. So, humectant uh, ingredients draw water from the deeper layers of the skin, from the dermis, up to the surface, and um, the occlusive element of a moisturiser prevents you uh, losing the moisture into the surrounding atmosphere. So that is really all the moisturiser can do.
0: So hang on. So, so, just just to clarify, then. So does that? So it means it doesn't actually add moisture into the skin. It just takes the moisture that's there lower down and just draws it up.
1: That's correct. It's, I Unle- never that, knew that. I know, and that's correct. Unless you're in some, you're somewhere that's incredibly humid, for example, Singapore, when uh, you can draw water from the surrounding um, atmosphere. But otherwise, the water that hydrates your skin comes from the water that you started off drinking and gets into your dermis uh, via the bloodstream. And then it's drawn to the surface by, um, well, either naturally, or in this case, by the moisturizers
0: this is blowing my mind this because this is the whole thing is you know kind of moisturizers and they're supposed to hydrate the skin but actually they're they relying on you what you've drunk so actually um, when, when sort of dermatologists in particular doctors in general um, sort of say you know make sure you drink plenty it's good for your skin that, that really is true you don't you can't rely just on moisturizer
1: exactly so you don't need to be spending a lot of money on a moisturizer
0: wow and what about all these other kind of additives because I've often thought surely if something's being absorbed into the body it would have to be sort of heavily regulated and so i'm always quite surprised by these sort of claims around and all these sorts of things like is it hy- hyaluronic acid vitamin c all all of these kind of things that are that are supposed to be in these creams what do they do how do they work
1: as you correctly say if they really are working then the product would have to be uh, classified um as a drug so uh That's why I think it's better to be, if you're serious about your anti-aging strategy, it's better to be using a cosmeceutical which has got scientific evidence that the ingredients do do something, um, or a prescription item, rather than a moisturiser with added agents which claim to do things, but they are, we don't know whether they do, they probably are in very, well we know they'll be in very dilute quantities, And we don't know the evidence to to prove that they have any clinical efficacy.
0: I see. So God goodness, it's quite a minefield. Um, And then you you mentioned this word actually. I had only sort of very vaguely heard of before. This cosmeceuticals. So is it right? So that's that's a kind of a group of products, sort of straddle between just cosmetics and actual kind of things that are prescribed. These cosmeceuticals, do you get them from a doctor or are they the kind of things you buy them over the counter?
1: No, they're not from a doctor. So cosmeceuticals straddle the the world of of cosmetics uh, which beautify and drugs which have efficacy. And you don't generally get them in, in boots, but you can get them from niche beauty suppliers.
0: So that is different from the kind of products you would get prescribed by Uh, by a doctor then, Um, so these are the kind of things that they've got active ingredients in them but they're not quite to the extent that it needs to be prescribed, is that right? Correct. Yes. So, so we've kind of covered then the, the moisturising side of things and the and the sun protection side of things. Just take 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 me back then to when you're actually cleaning your skin. So th- the purpose of that then is to is, it, is, is this right to just kind of strip away um, the the kind of dirt and the grease and oil and all this kind of stuff to produce like almost like a clean blank canvas on the face. Is that right? Is that the idea behind it?
1: Yes, that that's correct. And it's very important to remove the the dirt and the bacteria. Uh, things like toners are obsolete, they were used in the um, olden days when cleansers weren't as sophisticated as they are now. And if you leave soap on the skin, then you can produce a slight irritant dermatitis. So the toner was then to follow to help remove that.
0: And, and so because so my mum, she swears by soap and water, I think she's wrong. <laughs> And and you can now you can you can now settle a family argument that's been going on for decades. Is there any really much difference really between soap or cleanser that you would buy from a store?
1: So soap is drying to the skin. So if you have greasy skin, you can utilise that as a benefit. And cleansers they're gentler on the skin. And if you are prone to eczema, you shouldn't be using soap because it contributes to disruption of the natural
0: barrier i see so so really the only difference is just it's just that soap is much harsher on the skin correct that's all we've got time for today but come back next week for part two in the meantime if you want more from dr susan mayo then check out cadoganclinic.com and you can find us on spotify apple and google and whilst you're there please leave us a review thanks so much for listening